Chapter 40 of The Emancipation of South America by Bartolomé Mitre. Translated by William Pilling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr Natter. The Dissolution of New Granada, 1815-1817. The second fall of the Republic of Venezuela was coincident in point of time with the fall of constitutional government in the mother country, and the absolute king of Spain and of the Indies, after subjugating his vassals in the peninsula, turned his attention to subduing by force of arms his insurgent colonists beyond the seas. Up to that time, with the exception of New Granada and Venezuela, none of the colonies of Spanish America had declared themselves independent or had adopted the republican form of government. They made war on those who upheld the royal standard, but they were governed by rulers of their own choosing in the name of the captive king. Thus, naturally, Venezuela and New Granada were the first of these colonies to receive attention. In the year 1813, these two colonies had been united by the Spanish authorities under one nominal government, Marshal Montalvo being appointed viceroy. The peninsular troops had made but a poor show in the war in Venezuela. The two restorations had been achieved by native troops under the command of Monteverde. Boves and Morales, who looked with contempt upon the Spanish generals as they condemned their excesses, and who refused all obedience to colonial authorities. Thus Montalvo looked upon the preponderance of the native element as a source of danger and as a dishonor to the cause of royalty, and had applied to the home government for reinforcements. New Granada was now to be the theatre of war, and thither went Bolivar, either to take part in it or to seek help for another reconquest of Venezuela. He presented himself to the Congress assembled at Tunja. Camilo Torres, the president, thanked him for his distinguished services, saying that Venezuela was not lost so long as Bolivar lived. He was at once put in command of a corps of 1,800 men, of which Urdaneta's column formed a part, and was sent to reduce Cundinamarca, which still held aloof from the federal government. In view of the danger which now threatened the republic, Congress had appointed a supreme junta, whose authority was recognized by all the provinces except Cartagena and Cundinamarca. Santa Fe de Bogotá was the arsenal of the republic. The subjugation of Cundinamarca was therefore necessary. Bolivar prosecuted his campaign with his usual activity. At his approach, all the towns of Cundinamarca declared in favor of Congress. Bogotá, the capital, where Alvarez, who had been left in command by his nephew, Nariño, when he had marched for the south, had entrenched himself, alone offered any resistance. Bolivar laid siege to the city, and by a series of vigorous assaults shut up the garrison in the principal square, and cut off their supply of water. Alvarez was forced to capitulate. Congress then changed the seat of government to Bogotá. The Republic had at last possession of its own capital, and the government was greatly strengthened. Bolívar was named Captain-General of the Confederation. His title of Liberator was recognized, and another was bestowed upon him, that of Illustrious Pacificator. Of course Bolívar made a speech on this occasion, and prophesied that the army of New Granada would break the chains of all the oppressed peoples of South America. The new plan of Bolivar was to advance by the coast to Coro. Government gave him three battalions of infantry and a squadron of cavalry, in all two thousand men, with orders to seek supplies of arms and ammunition at Cartagena. 
Colonel Castillo, who was governor of this province, prompted by his old jealousy of Bolívar, and listening to the counsels of Mariño and Montillo, who had taken refuge at Cartagena, refused these supplies. Bolívar established his headquarters at the beautiful city of Mompox, and remained inactive, passing his time in feasts and parades, and in intrigues against the local government, till his money was spent, and he had lost half his troops by sickness and desertion. Then, with only one gun, he laid siege to Cartagena, the strongest fortress in South America, till a powerful Spanish expedition landed on the coast and brought him to his senses. On the 8th of May, 1815, he handed over the relics of his army to Castillo, and took leave of his men in a sentimental address, in which he expressed his sorrow at not being able to share in the triumphs which awaited them. He then withdrew to Jamaica, but ere he went, fired a parting shot, declaring, quote, Cartagena prefers her own destruction to the duty of obedience to the federal government, end quote a shot which recalled upon itself, for he also had preferred his own destruction to obedience, and had inoculated the Granadian Republic with a new germ of dissolution. In Jamaica he published a memorial in his own defence, which rather strengthens the case against him. Soon after that, under the signature of, quote, a South American, end quote, he published another memorial upon the revolution in South America and upon the future organization of the new republics, which is a refutation of the chimerical plan of a continental monocracy, which he attempted to establish later on. In this memorial, he advocated the absolute independence of each separate colony, quote, but New Granada shall unite with Venezuela, and this nation shall be called Colombia, end quote a prophetic vision. The reinforcements applied for by Montalvo reached Cumana early in April. One ship of the line, three frigates, and twenty-one smaller ships of war came in convoy of a fleet of sixty transports, carrying ten thousand six hundred men and a siege train. This was the greatest effort which had as yet been made by a mother country to crush the insurrection in South America, and it was the last. The troops were selected from regiments which had fought against the armies of Napoleon, and had been educated in the school of Wellington. They were under the command of Marshal Morillo, the best of all the Spanish generals of that time. Originally a sergeant of marines, he had won his way by distinguished valour to his present high position. He had seen hard service among the Spanish guerillas, and had learned the art of war in the Anglo-Spanish armies. He was no great military genius, but he had respectable talents and was a good fighter. He was popular among the soldiery, but was a strict disciplinarian and tenacious in his enterprises. He was cruel by system, not from inclination, but was also of a suspicious and passionate temperament. He knew nothing of the country he was sent to pacify, and his instructions gave him no information of any value, being drawn up in complete ignorance of the actual state of South America, and were instinct with contempt for the Creole inhabitants, a contempt in which he also shared. This expedition were originally intended for the river plate, but on the fall of Montevideo its destination was changed. At the same time, as Panama was considered to be the key to the continent, another expedition of 2,500 men was sent under command of General Miares to Veracruz for the purpose of securing the Isthmus. Morillo was instructed to overrun the mainland from Guayana to Darien, first of all reducing the island of Margarita. 
He was then to take Cartagena, subdue New Granada, and re-establish order in Venezuela. All this was thought so easy that he was further instructed to send his spare troops to Peru and Mexico. Vast as was his plan, Morillo accomplished it in the time given him for the purpose. In the course of the year 1815, all the insurgent colonies of Spain were reduced to submission, with the exception of the provinces of River Plate. The rest of the instructions were drawn up in terms of benevolence towards the Americans. The atrocities committed under the royal flag were severely censured, and the troops who had taken part in them were directed to be withdrawn from the theatre of action. But ample power was given to Morillo to deviate from these instructions when he thought it necessary, and he had also permission to suppress the tribunals of justice. Thus everything was left to his discretion. The first man with whom Morillo spoke in the New World was Morales, who was now master of the east of Venezuela, and had fitted out a flotilla for the attack upon the island of Margarita. Early in April the expedition was sighted from the coast of Cumaná. Morales sailed out to meet it with three brigs, manned by a division of infantry, to place himself at the orders of the general. Camba, the historian, who was present, says that his European soldiers gazed in astonishment upon the decks of these three small vessels as they sailed through the Spanish fleet. They were crowded with dark-skinned men, wearing straw hats, a waistcloth with a cartridge box buckled over it, and in general no other raiment. If these were the victors, what must the vanquished be like? an unfortunate first impression to receive, which gave them a false idea of the work before them. Quote, Venezuela and Caracas were lost after the arrival of first-class troops, who were well commanded. End quote. In accordance with his instructions, Morillo went on to the island of Margarita with all his army, reinforced by three thousand of Morales' troops, shipped on the flotilla. The Patriot cruisers had captured one of the vessels of the convoy, so that the strength of the expedition was known. Bermudez proposed to resist to the last extremity, but finding no support, fled to Cartagena. Arismendi gave himself up, and was kindly received by Borillo, who seated him at his own table, apparently forgetting his massacre of eight hundred Spaniards. On the ninth of April, 1815, the island was occupied without resistance. Morillo issued a proclamation offering an amnesty to all insurgents who would give themselves up and kept his word, but fifteen men who gave himself up to Morales were slaughtered. The first success and the first disaster of the expedition came together. The ship of the line, San Pedro, the most powerful vessel of the squadron, caught fire and was a total loss, the military chest and a great quantity of warlike stores being burned with her. The generous behavior of Morillo at Cartagena procured him a favorable reception at Caracas, where he arrived on the 11th of May, but his first act was to levy a forced loan to replace the treasure lost on the San Pedro. He then proceeded to confiscate the properties of all who had taken part in the revolution, and of those who were absent or who were suspected, the amount so taken being estimated at $15 million. General Mojo, a man of cruel and rapacious character, was made governor of Venezuela. The Audiencia and all the civil tribunals were suppressed and were replaced by councils of war. A military despotism was established. Morillo had now 16,000 men under his command, including the native troops. 
he sent a battalion of light infantry to puerto rico a division of seventeen hundred men to peru three thousand men were told off as garrison of venezuela and calzada's division in barinas was reinforced by european troops then with five thousand europeans and three thousand five hundred native troops under morales embarked in fifty-six ships he sailed on the twelfth of july for the leeward coast to commence operations against new granada the employment of native troops was in accordance with his instructions but the measure produced discontent in his ranks these troops were despised by the spaniards and had no wish to leave their native country more than a thousand of the llaneros deserted rather than embark the way in which they were treated aroused in them the native instinct for independence of which they soon became the most doughty champions morillo landed at santa marta intent upon the capture of cartagena the garrison was weak was short of arms and of provisions and was cut off from help either by sea or by land but was nevertheless resolute to resist to the last extremity the ground was cleared for three leagues round outlying posts were called in a flotilla was armed for the defence of the bay sixty guns were added to the eighty-four already mounted on the batteries martial law was proclaimed and all men capable of bearing arms were compelled to serve the garrison was thus increased to three thousand six hundred men of whom one thousand three hundred were regular troops the command was at first given to castillo but he was soon after replaced by bermudez and montilla was named major-general cartagena was then the strongest fortress in america it was captured by the french in sixteen ninety seven but when the english under admiral vernon attacked it in the year seventeen forty one they were beaten off although they had nine thousand soldiers in addition to a powerful fleet it was built upon a promontory running into the sea and is so separated from the mainland by marshes that it may be considered an island a sort of military venice the city proper is situate to the northwest of this promontory and to the west of it lies a suburb called getsemani which communicates with the city by a fortified bridge thrown across a deep canal and is closed at each end by a stockade getsemani is also joined to the mainland by another bridge of similar construction the fortress the city and the suburb were all enclosed on the land side by high walls and bastions to the east beyond the swamps and about half a mile from the walls stood a castle on a hill called san lazaro whose fire swept all the city but was itself under the fire of a fortified hill called la popa which commanded all the approaches the most accessible part of the city was the bay which runs from north to south and is nearly a mile in length this bay is shut in from the gulf of mexico by two islands which leave only two practicable entrances the poca grande by which admiral vernon penetrated and which was afterwards closed by orders from spain and the boca chica which was defended by two castles on the island and by batteries on the coast the flotilla consisted of a corvette seven schooners and some gunboats aided in shallow water by a sort of armed rafts called bongos Morillo detached Morales, with his division, across the Magdalena, to blockade the city by land, while he blockaded it by sea, his idea being to starve out the garrison. The heavy rains of the season, and frequent tempests, made the work of the siege very arduous to the royalists, filling their hospitals with sick. 
On the 25th October the city was bombarded, with no other effect than to kill a few women and children. Several assaults were made upon various outworks, which were repulsed, but in November the larger island was captured by Morales. Two batteries were placed upon it and upon the adjacent shore, the first from which swept the bay and prevented fishing, thus destroying one great resource of the city, where hunger soon proved more formidable than shot and shell. Fevers broke out, rats and hides were eaten by the starving garrison, sentinels were found dead at their posts, when parties were sent to relieve them, but no one talked of surrender. At last it was determined to drive from the city two thousand useless mouths, old men, women, and children. It was a procession of spectres. Only one-third of them reached the advanced post of the besiegers, the rest sank down and perished on the way. The survivors were kindly received by the Spaniards, but Morillo wrote to the Patriot leaders that if they did not surrender in three days, he would drive the fugitives back into the city. On that day, the 4th of December, 300 persons died of hunger in the streets. It was impossible to hold out longer, but still they would not surrender. On the 9th of the 5th, the guns on the hill of La Popa and on the castle of San Lazaro were spiked. At dawn on the day following, a remnant of 2,000 men embarked on the flotilla, crossed the bay under the fire of the Royalist batteries, took on board the garrisons of the batteries at the Boca Chica, and on the 7th put to sea in a storm which dispersed the blockading squadron. Morillo entered the city on the 6th of December, and found it a hospital of dying men and a cemetery of dead bodies, which lay all about the streets. The very air was poison. The siege had lasted one hundred and eight days. It was calculated that six thousand had died in the city of hunger and disease, besides those who were killed in the various attacks. The loss of the besiegers was nearly three thousand five hundred men. The victory was stained by an act of barbarism. Morales, who had occupied the batteries at the Boca Chica, on their evacuation by the patriots, offered an amnesty to all fugitives who would present themselves. Four hundred old men, women, and children, and some fishermen who had hidden in the brushwood covering the island, presented themselves. The throats of every one of them were cut on the seashore by his orders. Morillo was more humane, but Castillo, who had hidden himself, was put to death by his command, and his body was exposed on a gibbet. The same fate was meted out to six of the principal citizens, among them being Garcia Toledo, who had headed the revolution in 1810. At the same time, the Inquisition was re-established. Calzada, advancing from Barinas to aid in the subjugation of New Granada, attempted first to clear the plains of Casanare of the Patriot Light Horse, but being beaten by them on the 1st of October, he crossed the Cordillera with 1,800 infantry and 500 cavalry, routed various detached parties of Patriots who came in his way, and totally defeated their main body at Balaga on the 25th of November. He then occupied Pamplona, where he found the streets strewn with the corpses of Spaniards, who had been barbarously murdered by the Patriots when they evacuated that city. Congress now again made Torres president, with dictatorial powers, and appointed Torices vice-president. Torres raised an army of 2,500 recruits, with which he forced Calzada, who was advancing on the capital, to retreat to Ocaña. 
but Calzada, after receiving some reinforcements, turned upon him and completely routed him on the 25th of February. The three provinces of Pamplona, Socorro, and Antioquia were then occupied by the royalists, and the capital lay defenceless. Torres resigned, and a physician named Madrid was appointed in his place. He called for volunteers. Only six men offered themselves. Cundinamarca, which had been forced into the Union, had remained disaffected, and now became openly royalist. The rest of the country was worn out, and was only eager for peace. Congress authorized Madrid to negotiate with Morillo, and dissolved itself. The new president retired to the south with the remnant of the army, and joined the division of Popayán under Mejía, who then marched against the royalist force under Sámano, which was advancing from Quito, and was totally defeated. Morillo left a strong garrison at Cartagena, and divided the rest of his diminished force into four light columns for the complete subjugation of the country. Bogotá fell without a shot being fired, but while he was at Ocaña with his reserve, news reached him that Venezuela was again in commotion, that a fresh insurrection had broken out in the island of Margarita, and that the emigrants, headed by Bolivar, were preparing an expedition to rekindle the flames of revolution on the mainland. Seriously alarmed, he sent Morales with a division back to Venezuela to secure his base of operations. Morillo now, for the first time, appreciated the magnitude of the enterprise he had undertaken, and, with rare perspicuity, foresaw its fatal termination. He wrote to the home government that, in spite of his success, he could not, without reinforcements, bring the llaneros into subjection, and that it was necessary to establish a military government, and so crush the rebellion by the use of the same means which had been employed at the time of the conquest. He then published an amnesty to all officers of the revolutionary armies, from captain downwards, who would lay down their arms, but he put to death all superior officers who fell into his hands, quartering their bodies and exposing their heads in cages. General La Torre, who commanded at Bogotá, published a similar amnesty to civil officials, for which step he was severely censured by Morillo, and in May 1816 the prisons of the capital were full. Morillo then went there himself, avoiding a public reception and entering the city by night. La Torre and Calzada were again censured for receiving presents from rebels. The first was, as a punishment, sent off to the plains, and the second to Cucuta. The amnesty was then annulled, and severe decrees were published against all who should either write or speak on forbidden subjects. On the 30th of May, which was the birthday of the king, the women of the city presented themselves imploring mercy for their fathers, sons, and husbands. Morillo received them roughly, and sent them off with insults. The prisons being insufficient to accommodate the multitude of prisoners, some were confined in the convents. He searched the city archives for pretexts to increase their number, and a military tribunal was established to try them. Via Vicencio, Montufar, Lozano, Camilo Torres, and Torices were executed, being shot in the back as traitors, and their bodies were hung on gibbets. Baraya and Mejia shared the same fate. Caldas, the philosopher, whose scientific labors had won him worldwide fame, was sentenced to the death, and when Morillo was entreated to spare the life of so illustrious a man, he answered savagely, quote, Spain has no need of sages. End quote. 
one hundred and twenty-five victims perished on the scaffold of whom a fifth part were graduates of the university the properties of all victims were confiscated their families were reduced to misery the entire male population was classified as convicts and gangs of them were forced to work on the public roads truly the system adopted by the spaniards at the conquest was now re-established in america in the cause of spanish absolutism and for a king who was spoken of by his own mother as quote, tiger heart and mule head end quote. bloodshed and absolute power clouded the mental faculties of morillo he dreamt of destroying the argentine republic and of then returning in triumph to mexico to repeat there the cruelties of cortez but the course of events in venezuela soon opened his eyes he left a garrison of three thousand eight hundred men at bogota venezuelans and pastusos and with four thousand spanish troops crossed the cordillera in november eighteen sixteen taking some prisoners with him to shoot on the frontier line this march convinced him for the second time of his impotence to prosecute his enterprise by his own confession he could neither pass the rivers nor procure supplies without the help of the llaneros who went with him general samano remained in command at the bogota his first act was to erect a gallows in the great square in front of the windows of his palace and to set up four execution posts banquillos on the public promenade one of his first victims was a beautiful young woman convicted of sending information to the patriot guerillas on the plains of casanare she was shot in the back with seven men implicated in the same affair she died encouraging her companions to meet their fate like men and prophesying that her death would soon be revenged under the name of la pola her memory is still preserved in the songs of her native land Morillo, finding samano so apt a pupil in his school of terrorism made him viceroy in place of montalvo whose more humane nature shrank from the perpetration of such cruelties End of chapter forty